0: How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, but God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Savior of the nations,
1: come, show yourself, virgin Son, marvel heaven, wonder that our
2: God chose such a birth.
0: The Advent hymn, Savior of the nations, come, beginning Our Advent season. It is Jesus entering Jerusalem. That is recorded. Well, it's recorded at the end of Jesus' ministry, but it begins the church year. And it's fitting that it does because Advent wants to focus us on not only that Jesus has come, continues to come to us in the Word and Sacraments, and will come again, but why he came. And that's why he entered Jerusalem. He entered there to become the sacrifice for sins. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 28th of November. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Advent. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Welcome to a new year, Todd. Why do we have alternatives on this very first Sunday of the church here? You would think that the first Sunday of the church here would be established pretty firmly.
1: Totally agree, and Actually, that is the answer why it's because traditions don't give up so easy. And everybody, I think, would notice if you change the very first thing. There's a way in which the 27 potential Sundays after Trinity all blend together. Maybe none of those are your particular favorite, but the beginning of a new season, the beginning of a new church year is just hard to forget. And that's why. So we're in year B now. Year B is focused on the Gospel of Mark, which is characterized by its brevity, I suppose, and its urgency to get to the cross in particular. The word immediately is everywhere in this gospel. But if you had a pure spreadsheet version of the three-year lectionary where your real goal is to cover each of the three gospels, well, it'd be a four-year lectionary, first of all, and you'd have all four gospels, and you would make a continuous reading of these gospels exclusively what you do. And the tough part is the the well-worn grooves in the path of the churchyard are just too deep for that. The ruts are there, this path has been traveled before, and obviously the lectionary follows the life of Christ and the patterns that we're used to, even from the lectionary that was received from well into the early part of the Middle Ages. So from the three years perspective, the primary gospel for today is going to be that end times passage from Mark 13, where Jesus says, stay awake. The Son of Man is coming with his power. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Consider the fig tree, etc. But the triumphal entry of Jesus, Palm Sunday, is listed as the alternate. In fact, in the Revised Common Lectionary and the Roman Catholic Church's Lectionary, they don't even give that as an option. But among us as Lutherans, it's the opposite. So. Why is that? Why is the triumphal entry the preferred reading among us Lutherans? Well, in general, the reason is that we want Sundays that we can look forward to. We want a shape, at the very least, to follow the key events of Jesus' life and work to our church year, or otherwise to follow some kind of doctrinal or annual pattern, and this is the first Sunday, this is New Year's Day for the church year. So unless you come from a lectionary list background, a tradition that doesn't use any lectionary where the pastor is just choosing passages at will, you never come into the church here as a blank slate, but you have these expectations and these patterns. Even if you're very deep into Protestantism, you still know that there's Christmas and maybe you know that there's Easter. We're not the first Christians here, that's why. Likewise, if you do come from one of those traditions that doesn't use a lectionary at all, like a Protestant church— Usually, when you come into the Lutheran Church and start considering a lectionary, you see those broad strokes first. You notice that it's all about the life of Christ in the first half and the teaching and ministry of Jesus later. Followed by that, you have the curiosity about all the details, and then you start to get distressed maybe when you find that not all the details fit in a nice, neat spreadsheet kind of an order. The lectionary, in fact, was not in the first place organized this. It wasn't an organized plan that was built in its broad strokes and then they filled in the particulars. But it's just the opposite, that all of the particulars gave rise to the seasons and the forms and the shapes that we're familiar with that are duplicated and imitated in both the three-year and the more traditional lectionary. So I guess when you say when the project of the three-year lectionary was taken up, usually it has the tendency to knock off the corners and the obscure particulars that don't fit into that broad strokes scheme of the seasons. So what do you do about that? I suppose you can push through, you can marginalize all the people that cling to their particulars if you like it, but they're usually the ones who know the church year best. They're the ones who are most engaged. They're frankly like issues etc listeners. They love this. They want to learn more. And instead you would end up rewarding indifference because then those are the people who I suppose don't squawk when you replace what they're familiar with. So why then specifically do Lutherans in particular of all the churches seem to have retained the traditional first Sunday of Advent even in the three-year lectionary? Well, I think LSB, and before it we should say LBW and LW, we very wise to depart in the small way from the revised common lectionary and to acknowledge that tradition just had a stronger force here. You know, one of the emphases in this series of looking forward to Sunday morning, at least as I've been walking us through it, it's easy for us to become biblicistic about the liturgy as if the only thing that matters is the lectionary, right? It's a little telling that we call this series looking forward to Sunday in the lectionary rather than maybe just in the church here, are looking forward to Sunday period. It could be the only thing you consider. What's, what are the readings for the day? Three of them. Or what is the gospel reading only, in fact? Pastors are particularly prone to this problem and they tend to teach other people to think that way too. Now, okay, Bible focused, nothing wrong with that. Even gospel focused, nothing wrong with that at all. But there's a way in which it can become very reductionistic. And in reality, it can be a cover for being sermon focused that the real point is that the pastor is going to preach a sermon, and maybe it's even an accident that he's using one of the readings, but the whole rest of the service really doesn't impinge on that at all. I'm all about sermons. I myself am a preacher, but I don't want that to be a reductionistic focus and love of hearing the Word of God applied to me. The rest of the service shouldn't be sidelined or become filler. Or what I think a lot of pastors, or maybe people who don't understand or appreciate the liturgy, tend to think that these are more distractions. That we have all of these other things going on when really I just came to hear one speech and the Bible passage that it's based on, if I'm lucky. That certainly has not been my approach to this series as we go through the three-year lectionary now in the second year, and that's intentional. We're not just looking forward to the Sunday sermon, in which case maybe we'd only focus on the gospel reading and considering them in sequence. That is the driving force of the three-year lectionary is those gospel readings from a particular gospel heard in sequence. But the reason for that is that the Lutheran service has a large richness behind it, and it's one that has persisted in our church even when big parts of it have been lost. So. From the beginning, as even our confessions say explicitly, we retained the order of readings. That's what gave rise to the one-year lectionary. Also, we retained all of the Latin chants and hymns. So that'd be especially the, the introit, for example, as well as the Latin office hymns, that many of which are translated in our hymnals. And then when the Lutheran Church of all the churches, the one that cares about hymns, the one that added chorales alongside the rest of the traditional Western service. And these chorales began to grow up alongside the church. They grew up really as friends and as companions to the church year itself. That's why even some of those 15, 20 stanza devotional hymns from Paul Gerhard and others that we have come to love. They were intended originally for home devotions, for meditations by individual Christians, but since they so often parallel the readings and thoughts and are associated with the days of the church here, they end up finding their way right into the service and even in spite of their great length or perhaps at the expense of it if we start to chop them up into little bits. Thus, when you look at even just our hymns as Lutherans, our native Lutheran hymnody, you often find two things. You find a seasonal focus and you have a very specific focus, at least on special days. They tend to be the first days of seasons, probably the most memorable ones, and the ones that kind of mark what follows after it, what people usually call a tide. So we have that represented on this day in particular. We have a seasonal hymn as our hymn of the day, Savior of the Nations Come, the traditional Advent office hymn, And we also have one that's very particular for this day, that is, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You, which to many people is the quintessential hymn of this first Sunday in the church year. They express the longstanding preaching points also that have been used, for example, the three comings of Christ, which we often hear about at Advent. So I'm saying this because Advent 1 is a very fine example of where all the particulars of the Lutheran heritage are so well-known, they're traditionally beloved, and also they're worthy, and so much so that it would have been destructive to our piety as Lutherans and destructive to our knowledge of the Scriptures to ignore those pieties and traditions, even for the sake of something which is unobjectionable, and that's the Bible-focused scheme of the three-year lectionary. If you were at all frustrated last Sunday in year A that you didn't get to sing Wake Awake for Night is Flying on the last Sunday of the church year, you know what I'm talking about. You'll be very comforted today then because it'll feel very much like home. You'll get to sing Savior of the Nations Come and hear about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey. Not only the preacher, but also the musician, by the way, has a wealth of resources to tap into and to add to on their own for this day. I want to mention as an aside that I do kind of wish, as I'm looking and learning the three-year lectionary, that the musicians had been consulted a little more in the selection of the introits and the minor propers of LSB. They reveal, I think, an exegetical focus, that is, a pastor's eye that's focused on the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that, but it may be a myopia, a, a narrow view because rarely does the lectionary seem to consider whether the church has sung these introits and graduals before. Again, not to say that we shouldn't sing all parts of the scripture, no problem with that. But a musician's eye or the eye of somebody who's steeped in our heritage would have been able to see how to make better use of what already existed, what was common to us already, and to bring it then into a better and more wise use together with the lectionary that we have now in the three-year lectionary. And then the result is that we've lost some direct access to the Lutheran and even the common Christian musical heritage as a result, which I actually think would have inspired and shown the value of having new and contemporary settings of those texts as well. It's kind of counterintuitive. Think of it from a musician's perspective. The three-year lectionary comes out. Lutheran service book in 2006 gives us all new introits, especially chosen for the readings, great, you've given us a flurry of new liturgical texts to use. You would have thought that it would have produced a flurry of composition by musicians. But in fact, it hasn't. There have been very few. I kind of carry a torch for those texts, those introits in particular, because I fear that at least in the three-year lecture, they've kind of become irrelevant rather than becoming as important as certainly those who developed them in Lutheran service book committees thought they were. Now contrast that, say, with the colics, those prayers of the church, which are entirely the same across the three-year and the one-year lectionary in the first half of the church year. And as we just heard in this long season of A, were basically just rearranged to suit the Sundays of the summer months as well. They continue to be important. You can tell that because people fight about them, right? They uh, grouse when the translations change a little bit, or they grouse because they didn't have room in Lutheran service book to put those colics in the front, all a sign of their great relevance because they were used in that thoughtful way, continuing what people have so they can look forward to it. This long-winded introduction I've given is all to say, we're in good shape here on Advent one, in all three years, especially in year B. I want to applaud and defend our Lutheran particularity to have that triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem on the first Sunday. It's a notable exception that continues to pay dividends among our people because they have something to look forward to, and they can sing all of our Lutheran hymns to go with it.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Advent. We'll get into the intro in Zechariah 9 and Psalm 25 next.
1: need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to
2: talkback at issuesetc.org. When Christ came to earth, he did not come as a fully formed man. Rather, he took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He became a lowly embryo, and thereby, in this act, made every child a gracious gift of God. No asterisks, no footnotes. To learn more about the blessing of children, pick up the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
3: Solid serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: Are you looking for the historic liturgy of the church and the true sacraments of our Lord administered rightly? Then we would like to invite you to Zion Lutheran Church in Pampa, Texas, where the Lord gathers us around his gifts of word and sacrament, and where heaven and earth come together. If you live in or are visiting the Northeast Panhandle of Texas, we welcome you to the Divine Service at 10.30 a.m. with Bible class and Sunday school at 9.15. Come join us.
3: Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12.00 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.
0: Welcome back, I'm Todd Wilkin, this is Issues Etc. We are looking forward to the first Sunday in Advent with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, we come to the intro, it, which is drawn from Zechariah 9 and Psalm 25. Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and
1: having salvation. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Well, we see right away in the very first word of the service, the antiphon for the introit, that in year B, the triumphal entry is absolutely preferred. We have that citation from Zechariah's prophecy about Palm Sunday. And this introit has actually been made even more Palm Sunday with that antiphon, the addition of this Zechariah 9 passage. The psalm, Psalm 25, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, is the traditional introit for Advent one, a great example of a place where musicians can draw then on the full heritage of the Christian church. Now, even if that common lecturing gospel, the Mark 13 passage is used, you're going to have to place it into the voice of faith, faith that is directed today from the scriptures in these ways to eagerly expect Christ not so much as a judge or as the slave master coming with all his expectations, which is certainly Mark 13's kind of a theme, but as our bridegroom, as our noble king, this would be the positive Christian's expectation of the last day because Psalm 25 is concerned with that. Psalm 25, by the way, is the most frequently used psalm in the propers of the Sunday divine services, and it starts off the whole church year. Let us simply say this about what we've just heard from Psalm 25. It tells us that from the very beginning of a new church year, we should fix our eyes on Jesus And we should fix our eyes on him in faith, that is, trust in his promises from day one. And I'm really pleased that we have Psalm 25 to start us off again.
0: What is the Collect?
1: Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This collect, one of the stir-up colics that starts with the word stir-up, well, it belies that collect form because it skips right over any address and just jumps right in. It also is unique in the church here because most of our prayers are addressed to the Father through the Son in His name, in the Holy Spirit. And here we're actually addressing Christ Jesus as the termination explains. We're asking Him for rescue, for deliverance from the very beginning. Now that fits well with Palm Sunday, where we're seeking His deliverance—the deliverance that He accomplishes outside of Jerusalem. We're also seeking, from the very beginning of a new church year, we're we're looking for His rescue, and. Ultimately, our minds are, I hope, especially for the thoughtful listener who's looking forward to Sunday morning, now thinking about the whole new church year ahead of us and how it might be profitable for our faith and our knowledge of God and growing in love. But the rescue we see in this collect is from sin in particular. Even the Israelites, who certainly are afflicted by all sorts of things, as we're going to see in the Old Testament, what they really needed to be rescued from was their sins. That's the real threatening peril. And that's the message, then, that we have from the very first Sunday. In fact, it'll tell us that the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus, this really is the gospel, the good news message, that we expect to punctuate every single service we have. This is the point of our church. This is the point of our life together, that the forgiveness of sins would be heard and received in Christ Jesus all the time. So therefore, we start the prayer saying, bring it, Lord. Stir up your power. Rescue us from our sins. Bring us to eternal life. Bring us through this year
0: and every year to come. The Old Testament reading, the first nine verses of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down,
1: that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fires kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we've been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, look, we are all your people this Old Testament reading from Isaiah certainly seems to accord well with the end times gospel from Mark 13 rather than the triumphal entry. On the other hand, it reveals just like our colic that Advent is a time of repentance. Now, Advent in the last hundred years has been restyled into a season of hope, which is fine, but sometimes that hope has been put in contradistinction to repentance. And I think that's a problem. There's a need maybe to distinguish Advent from Lent because the fasting that is characteristic only of Lent has fallen out of our common use. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. But as a result, those two seasons can sometimes seem like the same thing, just separated from each other. It would be wise, in my understanding, to retain repentance still as a key theme of Advent, and that's regardless of what color you might use for pyramids or which lectionary you use. And I think The readings and the texts and the colic for today's Sunday support that, as does all of the seasonal elements like the proper preface that talks about John the Baptist and his message of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here the Lord is in Isaiah coming. Uh, For judgment, shaking his adversaries. In fact, the prophet is asking that he would come and do this. And he's hearkening back to Sinai and to Egypt, where the Lord came down, where he shook the nations, where he released his people and arose for their help. You see, the Lord is distinct. He's the one that no other eye has ever heard of, a God that actually does something, a God that's actually real. Even though this God is not found in temples, he's not carved out of wood and stone, he is invisible, he is spirit, and yet he's the one who's real. His going with Israel is what makes them distinct, as Moses says. Not surprising, though, the memory of Sinai, the memory of the Lord's great acts of old, brings up the people's reaction of sin. So at the mountain they said, all this will do, whatever Moses and the Lord said, all this we will do. But they never did. In fact, they were afraid finally to let them talk because they realized the law was showing them their doom. And therefore, this is the pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament, which is exemplified, I think, in Psalm 78, where we hear not only the recollection of what the fathers had proclaimed, the tales of all the great things that the Lord did of old for them, but also the warnings about the failures, the falling away, the losing faith in the Lord, and the failing to keep his justice and righteousness, the sins that constantly are threatening them. And therefore, uh, that's what Isaiah now brings together and calls upon in the sight of the Lord, but also then seeks his mercy. Now, this passage is often quoted about all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags with respect to original sin, with respect to the corruption of sin that takes even our best works and seems to taint them and cling to them. And I think that's fine. That's a worthy confession of how pervasive our sinful nature is. You see that even Isaiah's language is very inclusive. We are all your people. In fact, who wouldn't fall into the category of somebody who was formed by the Lord as a potter forms clay? Here particularly though, especially with all these references to Mount Sinai, Isaiah is giving voice to ancient Israel, groaning in its oppression, groaning in the results of its own sins, groaning also in the exile, in captivity. It might be tempting then for us to look at this and say, well, this is really mostly about political adversity. Uh, But Isaiah's point is to drive it to judgment that is deeper. Drive the judgment of God, On our sins. The Lord, yes, sends political adversity. He sends foreign nations to conquer Israel. But the purpose of this is to recall Israel from her sins, which is the real threatening peril, as our colleague said. So, I really think this is a very fine Old Testament prophecy to have right at the head of Advent. It's perfect with the collect of the day, it's perfect with the intro from Psalm 25 ringing in our ears, to bottle up everything that the Old Testament people of God are waiting for and needing, to call to mind their sin and the need for repentance, and therefore to put us in this same mindset with faith in our Lord who delivers.
0: We're talking with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, your link to Issues, etc. LCMS Worship will be hosting the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th in 2024 at Concordia University, Nebraska. This year's theme is Songs of Deliverance, Psalms in the Great Congregation. Learn more at lcms.org slash worship, lcms.org slash worship. The psalm of the day from Psalm 80 is next. Thanks to our listeners. Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmonds, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewelry, springly cookie molds, gifts, and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
1: Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Memoria
3: Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, One Student at a Time. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc.
2: At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy. Joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology— Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus.
0: Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back, I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to the first Sunday in Advent. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. On the psalm for this coming Sunday, the first seven verses of Psalm 80.
1: Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou who leadest Joseph like a flock, thou who dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them as with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. This is a traditional psalm for Advent, usually the third Sunday, so it's good to see it used here. Normally, on the first Sunday, I think we're more used to hearing about the righteous branch from Jeremiah. But this passage here from Psalm 80 is expressing very much the same thing that Jeremiah is throughout his preaching. And that is the recognition that the Lord has turned away from the sin of his people. That's why all the calamity is striking. So the prayer seems strange, uh, one, to ask God to turn his face back to us. Maybe that makes sense. What might be strange is that we need to pray, as Jeremiah says so clearly, turn us to you, Lord and we shall be turned. So the matter of repentance is both that the Lord would remember us favorably and that we would be turned away from our sins by God's word, brought back to trust in him, brought to confess our sins and be honest. You heard it in there, stir up your power and rescue us, right? That's the origin of the stir up that we heard in our collect. But very much this is a commentary on Israel's cry that we just heard in Isaiah surprising to me from psalm 80 that it omits the mention of the vine the branch which is a prophecy of christ jesus what i have to tell you is just be patient because we have more of
0: the psalm next week the epistle reading is the first chapter of first corinthians
1: yes and as we look at this epistle maybe just a reminder that in the christ part of the church here we don't always have a sequential ordering of the epistle so this is going to be something that was chosen to fit with the readings and i think you'll see it fits quite well with some of them at least this is from first corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ i give thanks to my god always for you because of the grace of god that was given you in christ jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge Certainly, this beginning of 1 Corinthians is just full of Jesus. Every other word, right, is our Lord Jesus Christ. No accident that Paul is trying to put our focus on him, perfect for the beginning of a church year. I do think this reading was chosen and fits best with that end times gospel from Mark 13, which is probably less likely to be heard. But it also does fit perfectly with the seasonal themes that are overarching, Advent and a new church year as we hear it. The testimony of Christ is being confirmed in us anew. We've just finished a year. We're about to set out on a second one, a new one. So it's a good time to consider whether and how we have grown in knowledge of Christ, in speech of him, in faith and in love over the past year and how we will in the year to come. We are waiting for His revealing. This is another year of our Lord, we'll call it, especially at the turn of the calendar year. So we're waiting for His revealing at the last day, very similar to how Israel was awaiting His revealing at the time when Christ was born. See our Old Testament reading. The message that Paul has right at the beginning of his epistle is that Christ remains faithful. God is faithful and continuous and trustworthy concerning his promises in Christ Jesus. He calls us then into his fellowship. He forgives our sins, and this is how we are able to stand guiltless on his day. How we can withstand his judgment is to be found in Christ Jesus, resting not on our own faithfulness, but in Christ's faithfulness. So probably fits better with the Mark 13 passage, but regardless, it fits perfect with our look at the start of a new church here.
0: The gradual in the verse.
1: The gradual is going to be seasonal, and we see here that Palm Sunday actually kind of dominates all of Advent. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. That's from Zechariah 9. And now one verse from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. He is coming. That's the verbal connection to the word Advent from which the season comes. And who is the daughter of Zion? Who is the daughter of Jerusalem? We should understand this as we're praying it to be the church, us, Christians, the Israel of God. The advents that we await are more than just the celebration of his birth. We're not awaiting one that we don't know his name. We're awaiting the Lord who will return at his last day, the same as he went out of our sight from heaven at his ascension. And we are acknowledging his continual coming in the name of the Lord, coming in his house. That's where the blessing dwells. And for us in the New Testament, his house, the place where his blessing goes forth is wherever his name is known in spirit and in truth. Our Alleluia verse then is from Psalm 24, not chosen because it's close to 25, but chosen because it's another Palm Sunday connected psalm. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. This probably is the best proper, I think, to tie both of our gospel options together. It's obvious to see he's entering the gates of Jerusalem, fits well there. But it also fits with Mark 13, where it speaks about the Lord being at the gates. That's like the fig tree. We know that his time is near. Therefore, we should acknowledge him as king and, in fact, rest in his words. That's the way we'll stand firm on the last day.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We'll get to those two gospel alternates, beginning with Mark 13 next. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at IssuesETC.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. In the spirit of Advent, we journey to the humble town of Bethlehem. Luke 2.1 reminds us that, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. As we await the birth of Christ, let's reflect on the simplicity of his arrival. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may this Advent season fill your heart with hope and anticipation.
3: Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc.
2: This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception, All life is precious from womb to tomb, and every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, He created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod School near you, visit lcms.org schools.
0: Welcome back to Issues Cetera. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to the first Sunday in Advent, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, you had mentioned the first of the two alternate gospel readings, Mark 13, before the break.
1: Yeah, I want to just give a little bit of time to Mark 13, since I know that previous iterations of this series of Looking Forward to Sunday Morning haven't given that as much time. Then we'll briefly go on to the very well-known Palm Sunday Gospel, which really is not too different between Mark and Matthew. So Mark 13, beginning at verse 24, Jesus said, In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So this is a gospel reading in three parts. First, we have the parousia, that means the arrival, the visitation of the Lord at the last day. It comes with all his angels with glory and power, and he gathers everyone together for judgment, like we heard not too many weeks ago. We have then the parable of the fig tree, which is to make the point that you recognize these signs. This will not be a surprise, and all of that is in service to this central point that his words will never pass away, unlike everything else we see. The conclusion then is to be drawn in the third part. Watch. Stay awake. No matter who you are, be ready at all times. Now, some have accused uh, that Palm Sunday reading of not making sense because we start in the middle of the story of Jesus' life. Wouldn't we want to start before it or at the beginning in his birth? Honestly, we're starting mid-conversation here in Mark 13, same way. Jesus was speaking about the end times, about the abomination of desolation and the destruction of the temple. He tells people to flee the house. It'll be a dangerous time. That's the tribulation he's speaking about. And in then the middle part, we have four pretty packed sentences. So in two, he talks about the parable of the fig tree, which is to say, you know how blossoms and blooms work. You know things are coming. You know it when you see it. Another iteration of what we said just at the end of the church here about the end times, it won't be a surprise. It'll be very obvious. It won't be secret at all. In the third verse of that middle section, we see that the signs of the end are actually already present. In fact, they always will be. This generation won't even pass away. That is true in this world constantly and perpetually, that we see wars, rumors of wars, the things that were spoken about earlier in Mark's gospel. But also, maybe you want to say, it was particularly seen at the death of Jesus. That's when the moon and the stars right became covered over, when darkness covered the land. So, it may be a subtle reference to that as real key moment in history. In any case, verse 4 tells us very clearly how to survive, how to pass through the end times judgment unscathed, how to stand in the last day. And that is to stand in the one thing that does last and endures, and that is the word of God. So notice, it's not standing in this generation, it's not standing out in this generation either. It's not in our own smarts or our cleverness or in calculating out the timings as accompanies so much end times theology. It's not even in heaven nor on earth. Heaven with all its powers or calling on angels or, or saints. The way that we survive is being in the word of God. His words endure forever. Therefore, if you rest in his words, you're built on something firm and sure. Then the last part is familiar from Matthew's end of the church here as well. We're to be good servants. We're to be found awake. We're to be at the very work that the master left us to do. And we have kind of Mark's version of the thief in the night parable, not even mentioning the thief, but driving home the same point as the thief in the night parable, that we don't know the hour, therefore, we should always be ready and watching. And I think with all of the other passages we've heard today, eagerness is also there. Which then brings us briefly to the triumphal entry. I'll just paraphrase a little bit for the sake of time. Jesus sends his disciples to go in the village ahead of him to find the colt tied. The Lord has need of it, and nobody bothers them. And then they bring it to Jesus. They throw their cloaks on this. He sits on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they'd cut from the fields. And, verse 9, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Our listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar with this event in Jesus' life, his triumphal entry. The details that Mark gives are are maybe a little less clearly painted. We don't have the actual phrase palm branches expressed, even though certainly the parallel Gospels do. But what he does focus in on is that Psalm 118 passage Hosanna, that is, save now, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, familiar with these passages. He adds this little phrase, the coming kingdom of our father David, that is, blessed. Interesting that they're looking forward to their father. This is an expression from the scriptures that really parallels something Jesus fights with the Pharisees on, which is how can David's son be David's Lord also? Here we might say, how can Father David also have a future kingdom? The answer to that, of course, is Christ himself, the incarnation, the the union of divine and human natures in Christ Jesus, that he has descended from David according to the flesh and that he is true God, the God and of the Father from all eternity, come in our flesh to establish this kingdom forever. What would you say about some of the hymns? We have two really excellent hymns. I wish we could just spend whole times and whole shows on these. Fortunately, there are others in the archives I think they can listen to from issues, etc. But the hymn of the day is Savior of the Nations Come. This is Luther's version of an ancient hymn by Ambrose. and This makes it one of the oldest hymns in our hymnal that's still being sung. Veni redemptor gentium. Now we have, Nun komm der Heiden Highland, and now in English, Savior of the Nations come. It's entirely about the incarnation of the Son of God. It talks about the Virgin. It talks about how the Lord has sent him in the fashion of Psalm 19 to run his course of salvation for us. How he is the very Son of God in human flesh. So in that, it is absolutely a seasonal hymn. Looking at this time when we are about to focus on the birth of Christ Jesus, we are going to call out to this one to rescue us. I want to point our attention also, though, to O Lord, How Shall I Meet You. In Lutheran Service Book, it's number 334, and I hope it's one your congregation knows. In some of the older hymnals, it was set to the tune, O Glory, Laud and Honor, or it actually has a different name, but for us, it's it's familiar as the hymn that we sing on Palm Sunday. That was a nice little nod, I think, musically, to the text. The original tune that we have in Lutheran Service Book is so beautiful. So I definitely commend that tune to all of our listeners, even if you did grow up singing it like it was Palm Sunday. This hymn is so beautiful by Paul Gerhardt. I just want to focus in on a couple things. It kind of ask rhetorically and metaphorically, okay, if I'm hearing about Christ entering Jerusalem, I'm thinking about a new church here, maybe thinking about, have I grown? Am I going to grow? Is this going to be a profitable year for me as a Christian, or uh, am I going to remain in the faith? These are all fine questions to ask, as long as our answer is going to be in Christ Jesus, stirring up his power, as our colleagues said. So the Christian then asks, what can I do? How could I possibly meet you, be ready at the end of the world, or even be ready to celebrate your birth at Christmas time? The answer is to have faith kindled in me by your word. The answer is not to cut trees down. If you want to, you can. Not to bring palm branches, but to bring the songs and confessions of praise that flow from faith. Stanza 3 talks about a wonderful little contrast, at least as we have it in the English translation, where I often have to repent, and it almost sounds like it's put on a little bit, like our attitude has gone not from repentance so much as, woe is me, there's no hope, I sure hope God feels sorry for me. Almost as if we have forgotten that of course He looks at us, He, he always has not forgotten us, to think back to our Old Testament reading. But in contrast, he comes gladly to set me free. He comes to give us a crown. All this language of the great exchange with Christ Jesus is here, and it's so beautiful. Leading then to stanza four, which for me is the key one. Love caused your incarnation. We can say from the outset, why has Christ come? It's not because we've prepared for him with palm branches. It's not because things were so desperate he had to come and clean it up finally. It's because he actually loves us, which is inexplicable perhaps, but this is his disposition toward us, gracious favor to come and rescue us, to deliver us, that he does treat us like a daughter of his, like a bride. He comes for his church to rescue her all of what makes, I think, this this hymn so beautiful, so beloved, and worthy in our tradition to be sung every Advent one.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. It's my pleasure. Folks, if you appreciate our Looking Forward to Sunday morning episodes, please make a year-end contribution to support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. No Gift is Too Small. You can make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check, make your check payable to Issues Etc., and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your financial support at the end of 2023. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie Napoleon with Pastor Ted Geese. It's media coverage of religion with journalist Terry Mattingly. And on Thursday, we'll talk with Dr. Reed Lessing about a history of the land of Israel. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
3: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.
1: In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org.
0: I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted
2: because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood.
3: Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the
1: Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.
3: College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.
1: The blood of Christ. God's Son cleanses us from all sin,
3: all sin. Listen to Chapel Services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.
2: Even
1: when we are faithless, He remains faithful.